This is Pastor James Guyo, and welcome to Berean Sovereign Grace Church in Westerville, Ohio. We are a Sovereign Grace teaching ministry, and you can visit our website, www.salvationinchristalone.com, to hear more of our messages, and also go to soundcloud.com and search for James Guyo. My last name is spelled G-U-Y-O, or you can search Berean Sovereign, just Berean Sovereign, and you will see our messages there also. May the Lord bless your hearing, and may he serve you for his sake, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of his gospel. And now to our gospel teaching. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray this morning that you may cause us to draw nearer to thee by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Lord, who purchased us on the cross by his suffering of death. But it was impossible that death would have power over him. It was impossible that his body would decay. And so on the third day, he rose from the dead according to the sign of Jonah. And he ascended. Even now, he sits on the right hand of power, ever interceding for us, his people. And Lord, we just pray and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives us the truth of Christ, who opens things to us that we may know them, that we may receive and love them. And we just pray now, Lord, for your guidance your understanding that we may believe only that which is true about Christ and what he has done for us. We pray now and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are back to John 10. So we are in John 10, verses 1 to 10. And we're going to be working, we are going to be working again parts of what we have already talked about from the early verses of John 10. But this is what John records for us and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the ship, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the ship. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the ship hears his voice, and he calls his own ship by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the ship follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the ship. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the ship did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it 
abundantly. Our sermon title, If anyone enters through me, they will be saved. If anyone enters through me, they will be saved all. What do the sheep hear when the shepherd calls? What do the sheep hear when the shepherd calls? Or why do the sheep hear when the shepherd calls? Why do they hear? And what do they hear? Why them? (laughs) The Lord Jesus Christ was very dogmatic about his theology of salvation. He was dogmatic about his own person, very dogmatic about his theology of how men approach God. He did not leave any wiggle room whatsoever for us to squeeze in anything towards our own salvation, like many preachers and churches are teaching. Jesus stands alone and he refuses to be mixed with any other fabrics knitted by human hands. It is either him or nothing because he is all. Jesus is not lacking in anything that we should bring to make him complete. He is all. But this Jesus came not just as the son of Mary and Joseph, the Jesus of Nazareth. He came as the Logos of God, the Word of God that was clothed in human flesh that also created all things. He came as the eschatological Lamb of God, the last and final Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, the sin of those that are in the world, the sin of those people that the Father gave to him who are in the world, from among the Jews and the Gentiles. And this one is the one who comes and makes the best wine, who gives the living water that quenches thirst forever. This one is the bread from heaven. This one opens the eyes of those born blind. And this one is the eschatological, the last and final shepherd of God's sheep. He is the final and the best, the finest of God's shepherds who will gather God's sheep, God's scattered and lost sheep from all corners of the world and to gather them unto salvation. The gathering of the sheep is the work of the shepherd in saving them. The seeking of the sheep is not that he did not know where the sheep were. He was not saying he did not know the GPS location or addresses of where to find them. No. His seeking of the sheep is speaking to his work of saving them. His appearance in incarnation is part of his work of seeking his sheep. He came to the place in which his sheep were lost 
so as to recover them to himself. And look at the nature of the place that Christ came to. He came to the wilderness. Sheep have to get lost in the wilderness. They don't get lost in the pen. They get lost in the wilderness. So Christ comes to this wilderness called the world to recover his own to himself. So he comes to this wilderness that he may be raised up as Moses raised up the bronze serpent in the same wilderness and healed those who looked to the raised bronze serpent. So Christ also has to come and be raised up in the same wilderness that those who look to him may be healed of their infirmity of sin, death, and condemnation. But see that it is he who makes the initiative of doing the work of recovering the sheep. The sheep are oblivious to the fact that they are lost. The sheep do not know that they are lost. Their GPS never says recalculating when they are lost. If you have a GPS and you take the wrong turn, it will say recalculating. And it will give you a different route. But when we got lost, we did not have a GPS to tell us that we had been lost. We only discovered that we were lost when the shepherd came for us. <laughs> like, oh, wow. If Christ had not come for me, I was going to hell. <laughs> and yet life continued to be normal. Everything seemed to be going well until we realized that we did not believe the truth about salvation. And Christ had to come by his spirit and cause us to believe the truth about him. But this Jesus, this shepherd is unlike the false shepherds of the old or the present the false shepherds of the old and the present fleeced and fleece the sheep and they do not care and they did not care for the sheep of God. These who thought the sheep belonged to them to fleece them of their wool as some preacher has been quoted as saying that what is sheep for if not for fleecing the wool? So we still have some false shepherds of the sheep even in our own time who are fleecing the sheep and not feeding God's sheep with the gospel. So these were the thieves and the robbers who climbed the sheep pen the other way, the back door way because their motives for the sheep were not good. They sought to destroy the sheep. They did not have any particular relationship with the sheep. They only saw the sheep as prey and nothing else, as prey to be fed on. They only see God's people for their tithes and offerings and nothing else. They do not care for God's sheep. These false shepherds of Israel had the word of God but did not feed it to God's people for them to be nourished. But in contrast, we have in John 10 verse 2, we, we have this good shepherd. We have the appearance of this good shepherd who is willing to even give up his life for the sake of the sheep. 
That is the extent to which he cares about the sheep. And so John records for us and says in John 10 verse 2 and 3, He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So this shepherd of the sheep, the one who enters by the door to the sheep is the true shepherd. He approaches the sheep through the proper means and channel. He is not afraid to be seen or to reveal his identity to the doorkeeper as he approaches the sheep. Why? Because he is a genuine shepherd. And the sincerity and authenticity of his shepherding is seen in the manner in which he seeks entry in the manner in which he approaches the sheep and the time that he comes to get the sheep and the permission that he gets to have the sheep pen open. And when he gets to the sheep pen, he calls the sheep and they hear his voice. But not only that, he calls his own from this fold that is many other sheep that do not belong to him. From this fold of Israel, from this sheep pen of Judaism, he calls his own out, but he does not call all out. And that is election. Or oh, election is not in the Bible. Of course it's in the Bible. He did not call all the sheep. It's only those that belong to him. So that is very purposeful language. So the shepherd comes and he does not make a random call hoping that someone may just have the sense to come to him, that someone may just be attracted to him, that someone may just like the clothes that he is wearing, that someone may just love the way that he smells, and they come to him. No, they hear his voice in a very particular way. He makes a particular call and calls each by their names, and that speaks to the intimate knowledge of his own. He has very intimate knowledge of his ship. If you happen to be somewhere at the mall, at a sports game, where there's a huge gathering, and you see someone that you know and you call their name, they will turn to look. Who is it who called me who sounds familiar? They will identify the voice, and if they can, they will identify the person. And will respond. Because when something like that happens, it is saying there is a pre-existing relationship between the called and the caller. There is a pre-existing relationship. It shows a prior knowledge of someone. But if you accidentally call someone by their name, but they do not know you, they will just keep quiet. They will keep quiet if they look at you and what you're saying and realize that they don't know you and you don't know them, you are not going to move towards them. They are a stranger to you. And I used to see this a lot when I was heading cattle. 
our neighbors and relatives also had cattle and goats that it names and we would share pastures, would get together and would share pastures. And if any of my friends' cattle were straying, I knew their names. I would call their names and they would just briefly pay attention to my voice and they would just outright ignore me. They will. And they did. They would just ignore me. Why? Because my voice was unfamiliar to them. My voice did not have authority in it to them. So when we come to Christ, we hear the voice of Christ carrying the authority. We feel the authority of the command to come to him. We hear the authority of Christ to repent to him. But when I called on mine, they heard my voice and they hid my voice. They would turn back if they were straying or they would come to me. My voice was in their memory. It had been downloaded and installed in their brains over time that I have developed a relationship with them. So you see, having a relationship is very important to whether one comes or not. So we come to Christ because we already have an eternal relationship with him. We were put in him by the Father. And that is why we hear what he says. But why? Why do the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd? Because you see, it is the elect of Christ alone who hear the voice of the shepherd. Only the elect of Christ hear the voice of the shepherd as to follow the shepherd and what the shepherd is saying. And the elect hear the voice of the shepherd because they were chosen in him. And in time, God comes and he downloads software and installs it in them. So to hear the voice of the shepherd is not talking about hearing some audible voice. Because someone may go out thinking that, well, I've been hearing some voices. Could that be the voice of the shepherd? No, this is spiritual language. It means they are spiritually drawn to the truth of God in Christ. They make sense of it, they agree with it, and they believe it. And that is the hearing. It is not, like I said, hearing some strange voices because, you know, there are a lot of churches who really talk about that. <laughs> and if you're hearing some strange voices, you may need to go to the doctor or maybe take a nap. You may just be too tired. Okay? But that is not hearing the gospel. But before the shepherd came and called them, the sheep were unwilling to come. Not because they had the power to resist, but because they had no power to come. There's a difference. There's a difference between having power to resist and having no ability to come. Armenians say people refuse to believe the gospel because they have the power to resist. And that is not true. God is the almighty. He is the omnipotent one. We have no power to resist. Even the devil a very powerful angel has no power to resist God when the time comes 
for him to be thrown into the lake of fire. He can't say, no, God, I can't go in there because God is irresistible in his power. But when we are talking in the context of salvation, the Bible says sinners have no desire or power and that is why they can't come. And so sinners refuse the gospel because naturally they are not able to receive it unless they are made willing. Naturally, we are not able to hear the voice of the gospel unless we have been given the power and the desire or willingness to hear the voice of the shepherd. And so the scriptures say in Psalm 110 verses 1 to 4, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength and out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people, listen to this, shall be made willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd because their shepherd is both king and priest. He has power. He has power. And their king shall come not from Mount Sinai, but from Zion. So they come because of where the king is coming from. Our reconciliation with God did not come from Mount Sinai, but from Mount Zion. The good shepherd of the sheep comes not from Mount Sinai. He does not head his sheep on Mount Sinai, but on Mount Zion. And it is from Mount Zion, and it is on Mount Zion, that is Mount Calvary, that we were made willing in the day of his power, in the beauties of the holiness of Christ. So that is what is happening. We were made willing on that holy hill, because Jesus said, when I have been lifted up, I'll do what? I'll draw all men to myself. So that is the source of the power. That is the source that causes the sheep to be willing. Romans 5, verses 6 to 10. This is the spiritual condition or state of the sheep before the Lord came to get them from Mount Sinai. From Mount Zion. Romans 5, 6 to 10 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commandeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So look again at the condition of the sheep. Apostle Paul writes and says, the sheep were without strength. 
they were beat down by sin and condemnation and could not get up by themselves. They were too feeble to walk to Christ, too feeble to answer the call from Christ. They had no credit in their phones to make a heavenly call to Christ, which, by the way, is a very long-distance call. That's a long-distance call. They did not have the area code and could not write a letter either because they did not have the address, they did not have the zip code, they did not have enough money to buy postage stamps, and if you're thinking internet, they did not have an internet connection that goes all the way to heaven, so they could not email. So when sheep call on Christ, they are not initiating the call. They are only returning a call that Christ already paid for. It is like a collect call from one who is in jail. I still remember back in the day when we used to use call boxes and you could run out of money and you desperately needed to talk to someone and you'd call a certain number, talk to the operator and the operator would talk to the other person and find out if they would take the call on your behalf, that is pay for the call. <laughs> So we as sinners were in prison and we did not have enough money to make a call to Christ. We did not have any credit to make a call to Christ. Prisoners, as you know, have no money in prison to place calls to their loved ones. And it is the person who is called who pays for the phone bill. It is the person, when you make a collect call, it is the person who is being called who makes the payment. But the one who pays the phone bill has to first accept to pay for the full cost of the call and they have to accept to receive the call before the call is processed. They have to be willing to accept the call and they have to be willing to make payment before the call can be accepted. And so we, we only call Christ we only call Christ back not to initiate the call, but to return a call. Because he already accepted us. We were accepted in the beloved. He already agreed to make full payment for the cost. And he did make full payment for the cost. And so now in Christ, we have unlimited calling to God on account of his finished work. So it is the basis of Christ's finished work that we return the call to Christ. We are not the ones who are initiating the call. And so the sheep always place calls on collective call to Jesus. It is Jesus who footed the bill. And we only return his missed call. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit regenerates a sinner, when the Holy Spirit causes a new birth, it places a missed call on the sinner. And it reads on the caller ID, missed call from Jesus. Missed call from Jesus. And we see the missed call. This is how we see the missed call. We get unsettled. And we can't find rest. That's conviction. Until what happens? Until we have returned the call and we have made peace with him. And so we pick up the phone. <laughs> pick up the phone 
and we dial back to Jesus. And Jesus says, guess what? I knew you were going to call me back. <laughs> For whoever resisted my will. Whoever resisted my call. You can't resist the call. Once Jesus has called you, you are coming. He will draw you. He will force you to come. A lot of people say, well, God does not really force himself on people. Of course he does. <laughs> and praise the Lord that he actually does. He draws people to Christ. And when Jesus talked about the Father drawing people to him, the Greek word actually is also used in the book of Acts. And it means being drawn to him, kicking and screaming. It's not that it's a bloodless drawing. <laughs> no. Sometimes the Lord just talk to people and hear the testimony of how they came to Christ. The Lord causes all those things. He drags them in the mud. He does all kinds of things to draw them to himself. But the Apostle Paul says, the sheep were ungodly. Going back to Romans 5, the sheep were ungodly and that means they were unrighteous and wanted nothing to do with the shepherd. They were sinners and were enemies with God and that means they were dead in trespasses in sins. But in the day of his power, in the day of his cross, in the day of him being lifted up, they were made willing. He quickened them and he gave them life. He gave them some living water to drink that they may be revived back to life. He gave them the bread from heaven that they may be nourished with real spiritual food. He gave them a new heart that would enable them to receive signals from heaven. If one does not have a satellite receiver, and a decoder, they cannot receive TV images that are broadcast in the air. Right now, as we stand, there's just so many signals that are in the air. The only problem is we do not have the right equipment to decode them. That's the only problem. The problem is not the signal. The problem is us and lack of equipment. We don't have the right equipment to decode what signals they are in the air. So you cannot just go to the mall and buy a TV and start watching satellite TV. No, you need more than a TV. You need a satellite dish. You need a decoder. And you need power. And you need an account. You have to open an account with a service provider. And you have to pay that you may receive the signals. And similarly, when someone comes to Christ, if they have to receive Christ, all that has to happen. Jesus is pay-per-view. Only those who pay watch the game. But are we the ones who do the paying? No, it's Christ who made the payment. So only those for whom Christ died for will get to hear from him and will see him. And Jesus has already opened an account for every one of his people an account that is full of credit, full of his righteousness. And that is how we are able to return his call. That is how we are able to hear his voice. See that sin had destroyed our satellite receivers. It had destroyed our decoders. It had took power out from us 
to receive anything from heaven. There was a power blackout and our equipment was vandalized. And so in the new birth, God comes and he installs new equipment and restores the power. He installs a new heart, a heart not of stone, but of flesh. You see the equipment. So God comes and he performs a non-invasive heart surgery and does a heart transplant. Okay, we're going to be talking a lot of things like that today. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. We have to know what kind of equipment has been installed so that we can tell what they ship here. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So do you see the software, the upgrades, the decoders, the satellite receivers that God said he installs in the believer, in the elect. And that is the quickening of the elect. And that is how a sinner who once was dead and could not receive signals, could not hear the gospel, now comes and says, yes, Lord. And this is how his sheep can hear his voice and not that of a stranger. When we have been made alive, we wake up in the recovery room. After all this equipment has been installed, we wake up in the recovery room. Remember, we are dead people, spiritually dead people. But many people, the teaching in the majority of the church world is that when Christ came, he found us in the recovery room. That is free will salvation. They say, when Christ came for them, they were not in the morgue, but in the recovery room, watching TV. And that is not true. If you find yourself in the recovery room, it means the doctor has already been done with the surgery. It means Jesus already came and is done with installing the software. The doctor is already done with the work of giving you life. When Christ came for us, we were in the mug, and God had to give us life and then take us to surgery to get a new heart. And then he put us in the recovery room. The scriptures say in Ephesians 2, let's go Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. Ephesians 2, 1 to 7 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The Holy Spirit does not say, you who were alive in trespasses and sins, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So that is the nature of the spiritual death. When someone is dead, that is what the death means. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you see who did what? It's God who is rich in mercy who made us alive in Christ. He quickened us in Christ. But once you are in the recovery room, once you have been quickened, you are not dead anymore. You are now alive. But according to Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 2, we already had death certificates. They, the corona had already done his job. They had issued death certificates and were already in the morgue and not in the recovery room. And the death certificate said, cause of death, <laughs> not drinking under the influence and not speeding either. The cause of death was sin. <laughs> cause of death, sin. So what am I saying? I am saying the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd because they are born again and are the good soil. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd because they are born again. They have the equipment to receive the signals from Christ Jesus. They are the good soil. Luke 8, 4 to 15. We have talked about that. But it's very important in this context. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. It's a parable. That's the parable of the soils. Luke records for us and says, Luke 8, 4 to 15 again. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So we have four kinds of soils that are described, but in reality, there are only two kinds of soil that are being described. 
Why? Because the other three soils suffer the same end. They all are characterized by no fruit, lack of fruit, all of them. But why no fruit? Because of the nature of the ground on which the seed was planted. The soils were not prepared so as to be fruitful ground in this respect. They were not quickened to support new life. They were not quickened to support new life. See this again. Those by the wayside, Jesus said, are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The devil comes and takes it away. Why Jesus? Why this picture? That is a picture of how the birds of the air come and eat seed that is exposed on the ground, snatching, taking away. The word is taken away as a seed is taken away by birds of the air because it was not buried properly into the ground. And that is a picture of a seed that has been put on the heart of stone. Stone does not have any soil to cover the seed so as to protect it. So it remains exposed. Verse 13 of Luke 8. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Again, the seed falls on the rock and it is not able to get any nutrition. The roots so formed have nowhere to go. They can't penetrate into the rock. So in times of trial, it fails to withstand the trial and so the seed fails to grow. So what we see there is the implicit assumption from Jesus that temptation and trial is God's way of testing and proving what kind of soil you are. It's part of the package. So when God plants the seed, he also tests the ground to prove. But this one again fails because we are told the ground is rocky. It's rocky ground. And that is another trait of the heart of stone. So we are being given descriptors or traits or characteristics of a heart of stone. That's what Jesus is doing. Verse 14. And that which fell among the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection or to maturity. The thorns again are characterized by what? By no fruit. Why? See what is happening. See the competition that is around the seed. There are many distractions of life. There are many things that are more appealing to the flesh and occupy, they do occupy the mind and they seem to be important to the mind. They seem to be more important than the caring of the seed, that is the gospel. Because Jesus defines the seed as the gospel. And if you pay attention to how seeds and weeds grow, 
you know that there's always competition for sunlight and water and nutrition. And also, thorns grow in areas of very bad soil. And so when the seed germinates, there's competition for the little resources in the ground and the new seed suffers a stillbirth. And thorns and weeds do not need much water to grow. They survive in very dry areas. Check out your lawn or your garden and see what grows fast when, the, when there's no water. Your crops are going to die, but the weeds will be there. The weeds and all the bad grass that you don't want are going to make it. And so a heart that is not quickened, again, is a dry place and is not good for growth. A heart that is not quickened is easily distracted from the gospel and is easily enticed by useless things. And so it gets chogged with the cares of this life. And as a result, there's no fruit that is brought to perfection, that is brought to maturity. It is again a stony heart. The cares of this life is everything that is not attending to Jesus and this gospel. Jesus is saying, caring for the gospel is our prime reason of existence and occupation. We should be consumed by the gospel. And the gospel is cared for by making it important. People always have time to do things that are important to them. And if the gospel is important, we also should find the time to attend to it. And there's no other way. Jesus did not give us any other formula of making the seed to prosper. He says the gospel. It has to be the gospel. And the gospel is cared for by making it important, first and foremost. So the gospel is made important by making it important. And we care for the gospel by learning, by hearing, and by actually loving it. Because you can't care for something that you don't love. We need gospel IVs. We need the spirit of God. If we actually are ever going to be able to do this. Because the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that gives life. So without the spirit of God. Without that equipment. It's impossible for us to bear any fruit. So the different grounds that the Lord talked about. Are just an explanation of the mechanisms or the different ways or motivations by which people who hear the gospel end up not being fruitful, end up getting lost. And people are like, oh, we used to go to church with him. I don't know what happened to him. We know what happened to him. He did not have the right equipment. He did not have the Holy Spirit. He was not born again. But there's a good ground. Now, if you know anything about agriculture, good ground does not make itself good ground. Someone has to prepare it. There's no one who knows good farming practices, who just buries good seed in unprepared ground and hoping to get fruit. They need to turn in their license and sell their equipment. The good farmer prepares the ground and he knows the season for which the seed is going to be planted. 
He fertilizes the soil. He checks and corrects the pH of the soil. He waters the soil. He prepares the ground. And so when the seed comes, it comes to an already prepared ground. And so the seed yields fruit. See also that it is not the seed that made the ground good. Jesus said, the seed, the gospel came to ground that was already good. Which means someone had prepared it beforehand before the seed came. And theologically speaking, there is no naturally good ground. All ground is bad ground. And so, if it is good ground, it only means God made it good. The farmer made it good. And so the elect of God are these who are good ground. God brings his gospel to all who are in the world. As has been given by the parable to all of them. But in the knowledge that it is only the good ground that he prepared himself that will yield fruit. God never said, you go preach the gospel only to the good ground. Because you can't tell who is good ground or bad ground. So the teaching of hyper-Calvinism that says we only preach the gospel to the elect is false. The gospel is to be preached to all and the results to be left to God. That's the true teaching according to Jesus. So Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So who made you good soil? It's God. We received it from God. The seed only comes to ground that has been quickened of God. And this is the only ground that is fruitful. Okay. Let me say some more remarks on the seeds before I get out of here. God does not prepare the ground randomly. He knows exactly when he is going to bring the sower to sow the seed. He is sovereign over the sower, sovereign over the seed and the ground and the time of planting. He is sovereign over the season that the seed is going to be brought and when the ground is going to be prepared. He is sovereign over the amount and quality of the fruit. This is all God working. It's not the preacher. It's all God working by his spirit to do all these things. In John 15, 1 and 2, Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you see, the good ground is what is made good in Christ. It is this that is in union with Christ. It is this alone that the Father comes and prunes that it may bear more fruit. It is this that the Father gives increase in Christ. So you see, the Father is the master farmer. If we are going to be fruitful in any way, it has to be God himself working in us. Otherwise, we won't produce any fruit. Okay. So I said all that to say, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd because they are good ground. They are good ground because they are in union 
with Christ and have been quickened by the Holy Spirit and they have a new heart. And so it is the Holy Spirit who gives them both the power and the will to follow the shepherd when he calls. Verse 10 of John 10. No, how did I get there? Sorry. Verse 4. Verse 4 of John 10. I'm not going to be dwelling on the other verses as much as these verses, so don't fret. (laughs) John 10, verse 4. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So a stranger is he who comes and preaches a false gospel to the sheep. And the sheep do not receive the signal as the right signal. It is a fuzzy signal on their screen. It just does not look right. They may adjust the area. You still remember when you had TVs and areas outside, get up on the ladder and try to adjust the area. Still, the image remains fuzzy. So the sheep will not hear and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. And not only that, they actually flee from a stranger. The voice of strangers was never programmed into their memory, and so there's no connection. And so God sovereignly keeps and recovers his sheep from false gospel. God is going to recover sovereignly all his sheep from false gospel. He will cause them to leave it in one way or the other because it does not smell of life. It has a bad taste to it. A smell of death and not the aroma of life. And so in the context of the teaching of Jesus, the Jews wanted the Lord to give them signs. But the Lord says, no, you are a wicked and adulterous generation. No signs for you. My sheep will come to me not because of the signs. It's part of the background of the conversation. Jesus is saying, my sheep are not drawn to me by the signs. They are drawn to me by my call. They are drawn to me when I call them. They hear my voice. They will come because there's some other technology at work that you know nothing about. It is spiritual technology. I am able to talk to my own without performing any miracles to them, to mesmerize them, to push them to the ground, and yet mine will come because they know my voice. And so if the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, What do they hear when the shepherd calls? What do the sheep hear when the shepherd calls that is different from the voice of the strangers? What do the sheep hear? What are you hearing as one who professes to believe in the gospel, to believe in Christ? What is it that you are hearing him saying? Because Jesus said he's going to say some things to every one of his sheep. This is what I believe. It's not everything, but this is what I believe are some of the things that the sheep are going to hear from the shepherd. Jesus said in John 5, 25, most assuredly, 
I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So the source of the voice is the Son of God. That's the only voice that they're going to hear, is the voice of the Son of God, not the voice of Muhammad, not the voice of the Dalai Lama, not the voice of Confucius, but the voice of the Son of God. And the dead do not hear, but Jesus causes them to hear because he gives them life by his command. And so the first command that he issues to them is Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. The dead hear the voice of the Son of God. And that is the voice that Lazarus had. And that is the voice that every believer, true believer in Christ, hears. They hear the calling of the Son of God. See again what Jesus said. Spiritually dead people will hear the voice not of the preacher, but of the Son of God. When you hear the truth, it's never from the preacher. It's from Christ himself. If it is true, if it's true, it's true. It's not true because you believe it. If it's true, it's true. (laughs) When you hear the truth, it's coming from the voice of Christ. Lazarus heard the voice of the Son of God and he came forth. Samuel heard the voice of God and he woke up from his slumber. So when the Son of Man, the Son of God calls you, you're going to hear this again. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me. So when he calls, he also tells you to follow him. Come to me. Just as we are hearing from John 10, they follow him. He says, come to me, which means he is ahead of the ship and the ship are behind him. Come to me, all you who labor, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So they hear the shepherd saying, lay off all your burdens on me, and find peace in me, In my righteousness alone. Isaiah 55, 1-3. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And if you are preaching a gospel that has you bringing money and coming to do something, to add to the work of Christ, then you are not hearing from the shepherd of the sheep. He says, come without money and without price, because salvation is free. Listen to this. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. That's the voice of the shepherd. He says, listen carefully to my words and eat what is good And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. He never stops calling you to himself. He ever is calling you to himself. And your soul shall live. 
and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Freely. Any gospel that attaches any condition of coming to salvation in anything that is not Christ himself is a false gospel. Freely is the word of the gospel. Freely. Come. Freely. They hear the shepherd saying, By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's Romans 3.20. They hear the shepherd saying to the woman, John 8, 10 to 12, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Where are thine accusers? Has no one condemned you? And in turn, we say, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. That's the voice of the shepherd. And then he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So again, that's language of the shepherd going ahead of the sheep. They follow him because he is the light. They see him. The sheep hear him say to the leper, I am willing you can be clean. I am willing you can be clean. The woman with the issue of blood heard Jesus saying, this is what she heard. She heard Jesus saying to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus did not say, your diligence, your work made you well. Jesus said, the good shepherd of the sheep said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Remember what the affliction is. The affliction is sin, is lack of righteousness, is condemnation. And the peace of Christ is justification, is acceptance by God. The sheep here, the shepherds say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. But right now, we are not at the point of death. We are not on our deathbeds. So something like this may not sound as glorious, but this is one of the most glorious things that you'd want to hear five minutes, two minutes before you die. And this is the voice of the shepherd. He says to his sheep, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks the sheep, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And the sheep believe. The sheep believe, but the gods keep walking away. And the sheep hear the shepherd saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The sheep hear Jesus is saying he is the only way 
of salvation. They do not accept any other formula of salvation that is not Jesus and Jesus alone. But this is also what the blind man who is Christ's sheep head, blind but mirrors in Jericho, when Christ passed through, this is what blind but mirrors head from Jesus. He had Jesus saying, Receive your sight, your faith has made you well. The man at the pool of Bethesda had Jesus saying, Rise, take up your bed and walk. All these are wonderful and marvelous things of the gospel and they have nothing to do with the physical infirmities that we have recorded. They are all spiritual aspects of salvation. So then the question that we have to ask everyone is, what voice are you hearing? Because people are hearing voices. And today there are many pulpits that brought a lot of voices to their congregations. Is the voice that you are hearing speaking peace or more work? Speaking justification or more condemnation? Speaking grace or some things that you have to do? Speaking revenge or forgiveness? Telling you to go back to Mount Sinai or to go to Mount Calvary? Because a lot was said today. A lot of voices came and told people to go one way or the other. Some people are saying, well, you're at Calvary. Calvary is not good enough for you unless you go back to Mount Sinai. But the voice of the shepherd is calling all his sheep to Mount Zion, to Mount Calvary. Listen to Hebrews 12, 24. The writer of Hebrews says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood of Christ, the gospel, speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And this is what the blood of Abel spoke. Genesis 4.10 And he said, that's God speaking to Cain, after he had murdered his own brother Abel. God said to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So what is that saying? What is the writer of Hebrews saying to us in the context of salvation? He says, the blood of Abel spoke of death. It spoke of retaliation and judgment. But this Jesus, his voice speaks of grace, of free justification and reconciliation. It speaks of forgiveness of sins. And that is what the sheep hear. When the shepherd calls, they hear of this blood that speaks better. It speaks of peace and acceptance by God. And so they follow. And that is why they follow. And the shepherd speaks to his sheep as they are walking. And he says in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 8, this verse you should always have that tattooed on your head. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 to 8. The shepherd speaks to his sheep and he says, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. For God has already accepted your works. What does that mean? God is saying, live your life as best as you can live it and enjoy it and not worry about being accepted 
by God because you have already been accepted. So he says, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Be happy. You have the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to try and work so hard to be accepted by him. Your works have already been accepted. You have already been accepted. The works that have been accepted are the works of Christ. Christ is the one who in our place did everything that was pleasing to God. So the sheep here, Jesus saying, he is the door of the sheep. He is the door of the sheep. Verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So the Lord adds more detail to him being the shepherd of the sheep. He says, I am more than the shepherd. I am more than the shepherd. I am also the door of the sheep. And so he expands the shepherd sheep imagery for us. He now says, I am also the only door of the sheep. I am the door by which my sheep enter in and out of the pen into the pastures. And the going in and out of the pen is not saying one can lose salvation. It is not saying you go in and out of Christ, dedicating and rededicating altar call after altar call. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying he is the only way of salvation. He is the narrow way, the narrow gate. He is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And Jesus is saying, there's no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So that is the narrowness of the door of Jesus. And if Jesus is the door of the ship, he also is saying, ship go through individually, one by one. He calls them one by one and not in a group and not in their denomination and not because of their family, but individually. This is very specific language, very specific imagery that Jesus is communicating to us. And he says in verse 8, sounds like we're getting to the end. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So all those who came before him, I don't think that he was saying someone like Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, even John the Baptist were the thieves and robbers. I don't think so. I think these were the many other shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders who fleeced God's people. If you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you're going to find out that when God has issue with the shepherds of Israel, the false shepherds of Israel, it's not Moses, it's not Jeremiah, it's these religious leaders. And these are the ones that Jesus identifies as the thieves and robbers. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, he is the door. And anyone who enters through him, that is, he who seeks to enter heaven, to find life and righteousness, will have to go through him and in him, and when that happens, they shall be saved. Non-negotiable. 
And that is a sure promise of entering through Jesus only. If you have to enter through him, it means to fit you bring nothing because of the narrowness of the entrance door. The broad way is wide for a reason. It allows one to carry all kinds of junk with them. But through this door, the sheep will find pasture because the shepherd leads them in and out. And so we'll finish in Psalm 23, verse 1 and 6, and just work out the pasture aspect of what Jesus is saying. Psalm 23, 1 to 6. David writes and says, and David is writing as the shepherd of the sheep. David knew a whole lot about shepherding. He was a shepherd and the type of Christ. David writes and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The sheep shall not want anything for salvation because the shepherd, who is the Lord, has provided it for them. Jesus is enough in all things pertaining to their salvation. And that is why they have satisfaction. So you see, they have satisfaction in the shepherd and what the shepherd does. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So Christ is sufficient for the sheep. Verse 2 of Psalm 23, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So not only do the sheep have satisfaction in the provision of the shepherd, they also have spiritual nourishment. And this is why they are not in need of anything. It is the shepherd who makes them to lie in good pastures and leads the sheep beside the still waters. When, when the sheep lie down, it means they've had a feel of what they need for their nourishment. If you, are, if you ever headed any animals for that matter, if you don't take them to good pastures, they're going to keep grazing and grazing and grazing and grazing until the end of the day. They never lie down because they don't have enough. So this shepherd, he feeds his sheep. He takes them to the pastures where his sheep can have enough to eat that they may have rest. They actually can lie down and he leaves them beside the still waters. The still waters are calming and that is peace. Sheep are vulnerable animals and they could use some still waters, not the judgment waters. When animals are properly fed, they take a siesta. They rest because they have had enough. And so all those who have Christ as their shepherd find rest. They find their peace. They find their Sabbath in his finished work. They love the quiet and still waters. And there are no still waters on Mount Sinai. It only thunders there. There's only still waters on Mount Calvary. Verse 3, he restored my soul. He leaded me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. That is spiritual restoration. The sheep had been lost and had been bruised and were scared. And the Lord comes and he restores them and makes them whole. 
He cleansed them of their filthiness and gives them his own garments of righteousness. He walks them on the Jesus only lane. <laughs> he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. So they walk on the path of grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 4. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And so because of the Lord's leading, the sheep fear no evil. They fear no condemnation. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord is with the sheep, even in their death. And they walk under his protection and the protection of his presence. And the shepherd has his rod and staff. The rod and staff were for protecting against predators, but also to recover the sheep from the ditches and also to discipline them when they were going astray. So the believer is not in fear of death. They only see the shadow of death. The darkness may be deep, but the Lord is always there with us to guide us and protect us. For he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the end. But when you read these things, we just read things and we don't pay close attention to the words being used. The Holy Spirit says through King David, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Why a shadow? Because a shadow does nothing to anyone. The shadow of a lion cannot harm you. It may get you afraid, but it is nothing on you. And so in Christ, we walk through to the end because death is now just but a shadow to us. Or death, where is your sting? Or death, where is your victory? So when we die, we do not die. We only walk through the shadow of death for the Lord will be with us. And David says, we walk through the valley, which means we are going to the other side of the valley. So we walk only through the valley of the shadow unscathed. Death has nothing on us because we are in Christ. Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The shepherd also prepares a table for the sheep in the presence of the sheep's enemies. And the table is a place of refreshment and rest. It is a place of relaxing. And the good shepherd prepares such a one in the presence of your enemies, death, the devil, hell, and condemnation. And see what else the shepherd has done. He has anointed us with the Holy Spirit, the oil of gladness, and see the fullness of that blessing. And that is what the Lord was saying when he says, and they will have their life abundantly. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just 
praise you again. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the good shepherd and his faithfulness in calling out the sheep, his faithfulness in leading the sheep and protecting the sheep, even walking with the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. We thank you, Lord, for these whom you have gathered today. And may you cause them to remember what they need to hear. For many things have been said, and we pray also for those who shall listen from afar, those who are appointed to hear this. Lord, may you be gracious and give them hearing for the sake of Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen.